warned again and again of, of persecution being the norm for the Christian life. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, and they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Paul um, warns that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And Peter, too, describes the devil prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. And uh, I've been struck this week by this one verse in Revelation 12. And uh, I was just going to read the one verse, then I thought, no, it's a bit naughty to just lift it out. So we're going to, although I don't, I don't claim to understand this um, uh, chapter of Scripture in its uh, entirety, um, I uh, sometimes just humble myself before certain passages, and I just think, Lord, um, you know. Um, but this is the context. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, all the nations. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, so they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the snake's reach. Then from his mouth the snake spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that had, the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged that the woman went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. It's one of those, isn't it? One of those passages and you just, uh, again, just are humbled before it. In a way, there's this... Um, Revelation in that chapter of kind of a brief history of the world from heaven's perspective. There's characters in there that we would recognize. The dragon is given his name, devil, Satan, the slanderer, the adversary, the deceiver. There's the child. We know him to be Jesus, the Lord, the Savior, Messiah, God himself, and the woman some people have seen that as Mary. Others have seen it as the church. 
or the people of God. And the plot there that we see is that great spiritual battle, the heavenly warfare and persecution. And just the verse that I wanted just to spend some moments on tonight was that verse 11. And it says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And as we're focusing tonight on, on our brothers and sisters who are persecuted, we know that every day hundreds of Christians are imprisoned, tortured, murdered for their faith. It's impossible. Even Open Doors don't know exactly how many. Um, but there, it is in the hundreds, believed to be in the hundreds every day, uh, Christians being um, abused and persecuted in that way. So proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord is still one of the most dangerous things a person can do in certain parts of the world. To declare that openly, that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it has always been the case throughout the history of the church. And in this chapter in John's Revelation, chapter 12 shows us that overview of history, but from a perspective of heaven. It gives us a glimpse into that cosmic battle We see within that chapter Satan's attempt to kill Jesus even from the moment that he was born on this earth. There was an attempt to kill him. We know that from the accounts of the Gospels, how Herod tried to have Jesus killed. And behind all the persecution of the church, we know it's that dragon, Satan, the devil. And throughout the life of Jesus, those attempts on Jesus to tempt him uh, failed. And then we see in that passage that he turns, the devil turns his attention to the people of God and to actually target even individuals. Uh, that last verse in verse 17 about going after the offspring of the woman. And we know that to in- injure the church of Jesus Christ is to injure Jesus. We know that because when Paul was persecuting the church and Jesus meets with him on the road to Damascus, he says, why are you persecuting me? Not my, my family, me. And in some ways that gives us an understanding of why the devil, the enemy, goes after the church and goes after the children of God because he wants to hurt Jesus. Thankfully, chapter 12 and the rest of Revelation shows us that Satan will ultimately fail, although at times the people of God may have cause to doubt this. But in that verse, uh, verse 11, we see that um, we're given that clue of how to overcome the devil's schemes. You remember it It was by the blood of the Lamb, that finished work of Jesus, by the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives above our loyalty to Jesus. Not loving our lives above our loyalty to Jesus. And throughout church history, because persecution is not new, obviously, It is more widespread than ever before. 
but it's not new from the very first days of the church. If you read in Acts of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen, and the story how he was arrested on false charges, brought before the religious authorities. It was only a few days after the day of Pentecost. And here in that passage, you see Stephen just so eloquently giving an overview of the history of God's people with such wisdom and discernment and then pointing to Jesus as the Lord of all. Accusing those who had arrested him that they always resist the Holy Spirit and they were furious at him and stoned him to death, leaving their cloaks, as you remember, at the foot of a man called Saul. And then onward into Acts, we have John's own brother. So John, who writes this revelation, receives it from from Jesus, his own brother, James, beheaded in those early years of persecution. And we can think of Peter and Paul, although we don't have the accounts of their deaths in the scriptures, we know that they were executed, gave their lives for Jesus. And during those early persecutions on the Roman emperors of Nero and Domitian, thousands of Christians lost their lives. There was almost a systematic attempt in those early years of the church to wipe out the church of Jesus Christ. In those first 300 years, they were crucified, burned, beheaded, branded, boiled, flayed, and fed to wild animals for sport. Yet, despite that persecution, that systematic assault, the gospel message that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God in the flesh, could not be silenced. In fact, so many came to faith through their courageous deaths that one of the early North African church leaders, a man called Tertullian, famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I always remember that at college. It was a kind of a, a phrase that always stuck with me. One of these early church leaders came and come out of North Africa, born in AD 160. Amazing man of God, yet he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this revelation that John receives uh, from Jesus, John the beloved disciple, receives this revelation in the midst of fierce persecution. And the New Testament is written in the context of persecution. And when we read it, we should read it with those eyes as well. But those words in verse 11 encourage and spur us on in every generation of Christians to overcome in the spiritual battle, in the midst of our own trials and tribulations. I used to, not very naively, used to think or say stupid things like, I w- you know, maybe we need some persecution. It will really sort out the church, you know, you know the flabby you know, church the non-committed church, the nominal church, but um, having actually met persecuted believers, I, I very quickly changed my thoughts on that. I don't want to experience persecution personally, and I wouldn't pray for it. However much I think it might refine and uh, purify the church, I don't think we should ever seek it, but it is the norm of the Christian life. And persecution, wherever and whoever it comes from, is seen as a tactic of the enemy, the devil, against the people of God, and still is today. Whether that comes from within, 
Um, because much persecution of the church has actually come from within, in certainly our church history. Or whether it comes from without. Whether it comes from authorities, or whether it comes from evil death cults, or whether it comes from even families. The author of that is the devil. As Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Indeed, Jesus assured us that if we were truly to follow him, we would be bound to meet with opposition and hostility from his enemy. So what are these three great weapons to overcome the enemy? First, we are to meet persecution by the blood of the Lamb. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate communion so often. And Jesus told us to remember him in that. Because we know it's the blood of the Lamb that overcomes That through his blood shed on the cross, Jesus utterly, completely defeated Satan and all his demons. Through his sacrifice, his death, resurrection and ascension, Jesus has been proven Lord of all. The victory is won by Christ's blood. Shed once for all, no other sacrifice needed. The Lion of Judah is the lamb who was slain, as we sing sometimes. And through the blood of the lamb, no accusation against God's people can stand. Paul says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Thanks, Alan. I've never been heckled by a phone before. Was that Siri? Well, I'm just grateful that she's interested in the gospel. No accusation can stand against believers. Yet, why are so many Christians feel defeated and accused? No accusation can stand against believers. Why do so often believers feel condemned? Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a tactic of the enemy to accuse and condemn. We've been set free and to live in the truth. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb because we know there's no accusation can stand against us. We know we have no one to condemn us because we are in Christ. And we implement that victory by faith, by believing the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, trusting in the cross, trusting in his blood. And that is what keeps us when the cost soars higher and higher. It's what keeps us when we feel that we have lost touch with God. When people talk to me about having lost their faith, and I dig a little bit deeper, they haven't actually stopped believing that Jesus is Lord. They've just lost touch with God. And it's what grounds us, isn't it? It's what holds us. Our faith in Christ, that he died for us on the cross, that he rose from the dead, he conquered death. That's what holds us, not our feelings, not the things we go through ups and downs of our lives. And even when we face the most difficult of circumstances, we've got to hold on to the cross. So we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, we're to meet persecution, it says in this verse, by the word of our testimony. 
So often, the enemy seeks to just silence the church. Yet the church will never be silenced. Persecution aims to silence the gospel, but the church overcomes by its testimony, its courage in its witness, whether in words or in deeds or just in its endurance of the persecution that it suffers. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Why is it hard to share our faith? Because the devil doesn't want us to share our faith. Because when you share your faith, something happens. When you share your testimony, no one can say that's not true because it's your testimony, it's your story. And the enemy sows fear and doubt in our minds. And we need to overcome it and not be silent. Thirdly, we're to meet persecution. And this is a really tough one, isn't it? Not loving ourselves so much as to shrink from death. Not loving ourselves so much as to shrink from death. Not loving our lives more than our loyalty to Jesus is how Eugene Peterson um, translates it. Not loving our lives more than our loyalty to Jesus. But we will only know that in that moment when we're challenged upon it. I remember at Bible College looking at the history of certainly the church in Europe and um, hearing amazing stories of men of God um, reminded of Jan Hus of Prague who preached salvation through the cross of Christ rather than works at the start of the 15th century in, in a time when the church had just completely lost its way, lost the sight of the blood of Christ. And he saw so many converts that he was told that he would be burned at the stake unless he recounted and retracted his message. Imagine that. He is preaching the gospel in Europe and he is persecuted by the church. That's why sometimes the enemy uses even the church. Yet his fearless death sparked a hundred-year revival. Incredible. Someone else who was influenced by Jan Hus was a young Martin Luther, who proclaimed the same gospel message at the start of the 16th century. He too was threatened with death. He replied, if I had a thousand heads, I would rather have them all cut off than renounce my conviction in that we are saved by grace alone. My conscience has been taken captive by God's word. On this I take my stand and I can do no other. And so began a great Reformation revival in Europe, which has influenced not only the church in England, but the whole world. And we could argue that we need a new Reformation in England and the British Isles. We could, yes, of course. If you go to Oxford... Uh, Karis lives in Oxford now, but if you go into that, that square where there's that, that memorial to Latimer and Ridley, two bishops, along with the Archbishop Cranmer, who was, uh, they were all killed. But Latimer and Ridley were burnt at the stake there in Oxford, in the centre of Oxford in 1555. And Latimer famously said to Ridley, we shall light this day such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust will never be put out. And sure enough, it gave rise to one of the great missionary movements that took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we see that repeated across the world. Courageous men and women making a stand, not loving their lives more than their loyalty to Jesus. 
So whenever and wherever God's people hold fast to the blood of the Lamb, to share their testimony, their own experience of it through the word of their testimony, and are prepared to lay down their lives for its course, no force of hell can overcome. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and not loving their lives as to shrink from death. How do we read that today, this evening, in Chipping Camden, on a beautiful day where we've enjoyed the sunshine and we've relished the freedom of gathering in a school, in a public building, to worship Jesus this morning? Without fear, as Marilyn prayed early on, without anyone hassling us, how do we apply that to our lives? Well, you will know from your own life that every day we face spiritual battles. I mentioned the two that you know many Christians... You know, that accusation thing, the condemnation thing. We are not persecuted, and we thank God for the freedom that we have. But we're still in that spiritual battle, and I think those still those three things still apply. How do we overcome those spiritual battles in our own lives? By the blood of the Lamb, by our faith in Christ, in the completed work of Christ, living in the truth of it. So we may not face the same persecution as our family elsewhere, but we face daily battles. The church faces a battle to compromise truth right now. We're in the middle of it right now. The church of Jesus Christ in our nation is under a a, a siege to compromise on the truth of the scriptures. Which way will we go? And governing bodies of denominations across our, uh, our church in the British Isles are discussing things. And, and actually the Bible and the truth of the Bible is not always held up. It could be argued that we do need a new reformation, a revival. Yes, we do. Of course we do. So there is that battle to hold on to the truth, the centrality of the blood of the Lamb. And even that the uniqueness of Christ. There is a battle for that. Because whenever we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, we're saying he is uniquely Lord. He's not just one of many gods that we can worship. He alone is God and he's the only savior of the world. Of course that provokes opposition. Of course that provokes antagonism, the uniqueness of Christ. No, we don't want to say it in in ways that will offend people, but we want to declare the truth. And there is a battle for that, the centrality and the uniqueness of Christ. There's a spiritual battle to hold on to the word of our testimony, the temptation for churches to become introverted subcultures instead of missionaries to their cultures. It happens. Where churches lose that missionary zeal to actually be a witness to their communities and just say, we're just going to hold on to what we've got. We're going to wait till Jesus comes again and forget that we have actually a mission to go beyond the walls, to share the word of our testimony in whatever ways that we do that. Above all, there's a battle to play it safe and make our own faith an individual, private, unthreatening faith in case we offend. How, how afraid are we of offending people? We are, aren't we? I'm afraid of offending people. 
I'm also afraid that we become a consumer church where actually church is for what we get out of it rather than actually we're on a mission together. We've been placed here for a task. Or just to see Jesus as the one who can help me face life's problems. We've got a bigger vision and a bigger mission than that. And there may, we never know, there may come a day when we may be called upon to make a sacrifice for Christ. And of course we can't fill that in right now because we don't know what that would be or how that would go. But today's challenge for us, I think, is to hold on to the cross, the blood of the Lamb, to proclaim it and to sacrifice anything that would keep us from our witness. It seems a very simple plan of spiritual warfare. Over the years, I've gone to lots of seminars on spiritual warfare. I think this is the best one. They overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and not loving their lives more than loyalty to Jesus. It's a simple plan, maybe a painful one, but as the scriptures say, it has been an effective one in the past, in the present, and will be in the future. Let's pray together. And so we pray.